This is Celebration Church, but it's more than just a building or a church. We have a calling to be a place where people can find a relationship with God instead of religion. A place where freedom is found and acceptance given, and every person can discover their purpose and experience the kind of fulfillment only God can give. Together we will raise, lead, and empower a generation to change the world. Here, Jesus is famous, and all the glory goes to God. This is celebration. This is our family. Welcome home. Good morning, Celebration Church. Good to have you with us as we are broadcasting live from Green Bay. Everything you've been seeing so far, except for the announcements has been live every Sunday. Uh, <clears throat> most churches uh, are not used to live streaming, so they're pre-recording and editing their services together. Uh, we've just done what we've always done, <laughs> just do our normal services, because we have been uh, broadcasting live for 15 years now. Uh, so it works very comfortably for us. And it works out great uh, that so many people are able to connect with us, all the people that are part of our regular congregation, and those who watch all over the world join with us, and we're glad that they do. Uh, let's recite together the Apostles' Creed. This is our statement of faith. This is who we are and what we believe here at Celebration Church. We believe in God, the Father Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth. We believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who for us and for our salvation was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead, and on the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the fellowship of believers, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. We want to pause just for a minute because we're not in our regular gathering to take our offering. No one's going to be passing around a bucket in your house, obviously. So we want to encourage you to pause for a moment and uh, click the, uh, what is it, give at home or uh, how's that, whatever. Give. give. Oh, just <laughs> click the give button. Or if uh, you're watching on Facebook, there is no give button, but you can um, text giving by going to your little texting program, and you're going to send it to this number, 977977. Seven, seven, seven. I get it backwards all the time. 77977. Seven, seven. That's a number you're going to text to. All right, so type in, like, you're going to send a text to somebody, 77977, seven, seven, and then in your message, the message you're going to send is CCWI, which stands for Celebration Church Wisconsin, and then the amount that you want to give, and hit send. Uh, once you've signed up for it, it all happens automatically. Uh, and some of you might want to give something special this uh, week because this is our uh, monthly missions gift where you can uh, actually have a category. Uh, can you just type in missions, I think? Oh, CCWI dollar amount. And then if you want to give something specially to missions, if she wasn't here, I'd be lost. CCWI dollar amount and then the word missions. And then that part of it will go to missions. So you can give your regular giving and then something to... Uh, missions would be great to these ministries that we help, like the uh, Children's Home uh, in Myanmar, as we help to support those who are in such dire need. 
those of you who give on the other platforms can see there's a, a category where you can click down to see missions and give that way as well. Uh, many of you have already signed up for uh, automated giving every week, which is very helpful, and it makes it really easy. You just sign up for online giving and say, we're giving X amount of dollars every week, uh, and that it makes things very easy for us in terms of planning. I am happy to say that Celebration Church has been doing phenomenally well during this uh, pandemic crisis that we're all dealing with. Um, I was hearing from Bishop Ed a week or so ago, and he says he knows of churches that have shut their doors and may never be able to reopen again. They have been absolutely devastated financially. And there are a lot of churches all around the country that is exactly the situation, or many, even bigger churches, they are way down on their giving. Celebration Church, it's as if this had never happened at all. Everything is as it always has been, which is a great credit to our people, to all of you in your faithfulness. So all is going well. Uh, of course, obviously, <laughs> we could always use more because <laughs> there's always something that needs to be fixed somewhere <clears throat> around these places. Uh, you know, but be as generous as you can. Somebody said, well, <clears throat> if my income's down, <clears throat> excuse me, how, how do I tithe? Uh, well, t tithing is a percentage of your income. Traditionally, the gold standard, 10%. Uh, but you say, well, I can't do that. Well, do five, do three, whatever you can do. And they say, well, what happens when we are low on income? Uh, well, then you just accordingly. Uh, one sweet person I was texting to this morning from our basically online campus, they live way far away from us, said, how do we tithe? I said, well, they're having a hard time bringing in any money. I said, well, the good news is 10% of nothing is nothing. <laughs> so don't worry about it. Or if you lose half your income and you're still making income, yeah, it's hard. So just... Adjust to whatever you can do. Trust God through all of this. He is faithful. <clears throat> and I'm pretty sure God is not panicking. But uh, do what you can. Continue to be faithful. And thank you for doing that. And thanks for being such a wonderful group of people. I mean, this has really been <clears throat> rather amazing. The truth be told, uh, we have barely skipped a beat through this whole process. It's really been rather amazing. And we're very, very grateful for it. One, because we just keep doing our services like we've always done. There's been no changes up here. Uh, that's why we're live every Sunday morning. And the finances have been steady. And uh, so we're just very, very grateful. Looking forward, though, to all of this <clears throat> craziness to be over. Um, this morning, I want to read to you from uh, a very popular psalm, probably the most popular psalm. It's called Psalm 23. And uh, today is the fourth Sunday of Easter. It's not Easter Sunday, but traditionally Christian churches throughout the world celebrate Easter for several weeks. It's not just a one-time deal. Truth is, we celebrate Easter all year long because without the resurrection, none of this is even possible. But this is still, we're in the attitude of celebrating Easter. But today's uh, known traditionally as a Good Shepherd Sunday, and we're going to be talking about this idea of Jesus, the resurrected Christ, being our shepherd, being our provider. So let's read Psalm 23 here. Um, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Now this is a newer translation, and almost all of them still use this phrase, I shall not want, which was used by the King James, because it's so well known. What it actually means is I will not lack. That's what the word want means in older English. If you were in need, you would say, I am in want, or someone is in want. It doesn't mean you want things. 
We all want things. So, so I shall not want. Wait a minute. I want stuff. I want a new car. That's not what he's talking about. It's talking about being in need. The Lord is my shepherd. I don't have to worry because my needs will be taken care of. I shall not be in want is the word. Continuing on, it says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. A great picture of rest. <clears throat> he restores my soul. He leads me in right paths for his name's sake. Pastor, how do I know if I'm going the right direction? Well, when you understand the Lord is your shepherd, you understand that he is directing and guiding you even when it doesn't feel like it. He will use circumstances and open and close doors in your life. Uh, you can trust that God will direct you. Pray for wisdom. Ask others for wisdom, insight. Uh, but then commit your way to the Lord and he will guide your paths. And there's a very familiar saying to those of us who are boaters. By the way, my boat got slammed. <laughs> there were uh, probably 60, 70 mile an hour gusts that were coming off of Lake Michigan early this week. And a two-inch nylon rope, that's a heavy rope, snapped. And the boat swung around and started banging around, so I got all this, you know. Anyway, why am I whining to you? What do I got to complain about? I have a boat. Anyway, <clears throat> it did get smashed up, but the analogy of a boat is the rudder doesn't do anything if you're not moving. You can turn that all day long, and it just sits there. It has to move. Those of you who are afraid to make decisions, God, what am I going to do? I'll give me wisdom. I don't know what to do. Why do I? How come I don't know? Listen, trust God. Give him your uh, concerns and then start moving. And it's when you start moving that God shows up and starts directing your paths. We can trust him. We shall not want. He leads me in, his, in the right paths for his name's sake. And then <clears throat> verse four, even though I walk through the darkest Valley, the King James Version, the one that most people are familiar with, uh, much more poetic. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Wow, how much more dramatic is that phrasing? You think that is stuck with that. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Now I got to tell you, when you're walking through the valley of the shadow of death, it's hard uh, not to be afraid. Many people are fearful now, you know, because of this, health thing going on and uh, the economic crisis that is creating on top of it. Uh, but I want to encourage you. Um, we got to deal with all these things, but you don't have to be afraid. Why don't I have to be? Because the Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want, be in want. He will take care of me. He will provide for me. And when you understand that, fear melts away. Why will I not fear any evil? He goes on to write, because you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And then this celebratory idea, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. Uh, <laughs> they say uh, successfully lived life is the greatest revenge and all the Christians shouldn't be into revenge at all. Just the idea that in the presence of those who are against him, his life is being blessed and his the table is set before him and his cup overflows. And then we get to this part. We'll end here. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord my whole life long. The Lord is my shepherd. When you truly understand uh, that God is your source, it changes you and it changes things. 
And I can guarantee you, those of you who struggle the most in life for whatever reason, as you follow Christ in your life, you're doing your best, but you haven't quite gotten that concept yet. Uh, and then it fills you, as we were pointing out earlier, with fear, uncertainty, paranoia. Instead of being generous, you get tight, you pull back because you don't understand who your source is. Uh, in the early church, uh, this is right after the resurrection, we read in Acts, we're going to pick it up in Acts, the second chapter, about how their lives were dramatically changed. It says in verse 42, Acts 2, 42, all these Christians were getting together and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and, and the prayers. And the more you look into this idea of breaking of bread, um, Christianity started having a major impact on their culture. One of the greatest status symbols of the time, uh, and this is going to sound really weird to us because we just don't think in these terms. Uh, our idea of status symbols pretty much in America is what? The car that you drive, right? If you're driving a $150,000 car, that's quite the status symbol. And if you're driving a $8,000 bank of both station wagon or something like that. Um, that's a status symbol, right? Or our house, I guess, could be another version of status symbol. But one of the major status symbols in Jesus' time wasn't so much that stuff at all. People didn't have really a lot of wealth one way or the other. Uh, it was where you sat at the meal. It was a big deal. Where you sat when you gathered together with people was the major status symbol of the day. Again, very odd from us to even trans, uh, comprehend this. But this is what, uh, what it was like. Well, we read about it in Luke, the 14th chapter, where Jesus says to them, starting at verse 8, he says, listen, guys, when someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor. Talking about the nice seat at the table. For a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, uh, give this person your seat. Then, humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. Well, now it's very odd to us. If I'm in the wrong chair and someone says, can you move? I'm not humiliated. I just, oh, oh yeah, no problem, right? That's the way most of us would think. Not a big deal. But not in this culture. Because it was a big stinking deal about where you sat. When you sat, people were very aware of the status that they held so someone sat down and figured, well, I'm such and such status, and then you got replaced. That's humiliating in front of everybody. Again, here, no one would care in our culture today. But back then, it was a big stinking deal. Instead, Jesus says, when you are invited, take the lowest place so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place, and then you will be honored in the presence of all the other guests. So better take the lower seat and then be lifted up again. This makes no sense to us today. But this was a big, big, big deal back then. In fact, Jesus, in one of his rants against the Pharisees, when he was rebuking them and going after them very harshly, uh, said, pointed out to this thing, you like to sit at the special places at the table in places of honor. I mean, it was one of the things because of this status symbol, this ego. And isn't that odd? You know, greed and arrogance can pop up in the strangest ways. You know, it just looks different. It looked different in Jesus' day. It would pop up just in where they sat. Again, to us, it's not a big deal, but in the day, they were filled with arrogance about this, and Jesus slammed them for that. One of the first things about the Christian experience was that people would gather together and they shared the table 
regardless of their status. Now, once in a while, they would slip back into it. Paul would write about it, smack them upside the head. James really smacked them upside the head. He said, what are you doing? You know, when you say, hey, so-and-so, you sit here and you poor people sit back there. He says, no, 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 we don't do that. Not in the Christian world. In the Christian world, we don't have those kinds of status symbols. We really shouldn't have any. But certainly, the idea of eating together was celebrated and one of the main things of the Christian experiences is that we all would eat together. And it didn't matter who you were, who you were how much money you had, who, whatever education or status, because we were all one. We were all even at the table. It's kind of one of the wonderful uh, initial ideas of Christianity. Okay, so back to Acts uh, chapter 2. Uh, continuing on at verse 43. All these people were gathering together, sharing the table. And it says, awe came upon everyone because many wonders and signs were being done by the apostles. <clears throat> I'll bet that was pretty impressive. And it says, all who believe, this is the part I want you to grab here. All those who believed were together and they had all things in common and they would sell their possessions and goods and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. Now, why would they do that? What was uh, the other major sign of the day? Not only are we all equal, but if I have something, I will take that and help you that does not have something. Why would you do that? This is one of the signs of understanding that the Lord truly is my shepherd. When you understand that God is your source, you start to realize that uh, you're dealing with a very large pie from which to distribute. In other words, it becomes easier to be generous when you understand God is your source than if you don't. And there's a lot of people listening to me. There's a lot of people in my church <laughs> who don't give much of anything. Uh, we don't yell at them and stuff, you know. I, I egg them on and try and challenge them. But I understand. They just don't understand God is their source. The only source they have is their checkbook or whatever money comes in. That, that's the only version of, so, of source that they see. And they see a very limited world. And you don't take, you're limited and, and give to others because then that fills you with fear. Well, what if I don't have enough uh, for myself? Because their view is a very limited pie. It's like if you have a big pie. I'm the most generous sharing my dessert before the pie is cut. You know? <laughs> you want a piece of pie? You want a piece of pie? You want to, you know? Hey, I've noticed that when I'm really jonesing for dessert and I open a refrigerator and there's just one slice of pie left, I'm not nearly as generous. In fact, I don't point out to anyone there's any pie in there. <laughs> Why? Because I want it. And if I ask somebody, anybody want some pie? I'm afraid someone will say yes, and then there goes my last piece of pie. Now, I should be more generous. I get it. But all of a sudden it becomes harder. Why? Because it's a limited pie. A lot of people struggle with this concept. It's why if you're one of the people listening to me today, and I don't say this to condemn you or not, but you're the kind of person who watches. You've been watching online, you're just, and you never give anything. You know, why? You live in this fearful world of a limited pie. And I always see people like that. I always feel sorry for you, actually. I'm not mad at you. I just feel sorry. I, my hope and my prayer is that you start to understand you are connected to a really big God who will take care of you. Now, that doesn't mean you don't pay attention to what's in the bank or anything. Obviously, you have to do all these things or we'd all just sign everything over tomorrow. Uh, but uh, you have to pay attention to their income sources. But the fear goes away. You know, there's a lot of people who struggle with this uh, because oftentimes we'll deal with blended families. And uh, one of the big arguments with blended families is one person will actually say, I can't love your kids as much as my own kids. 
and they absolutely refuse to do it. They won't love. They're, first of all, if you think like that, you should never get married again, okay? Or you should never get married where there's other kids and stuff like that. If you have that limited mentality in your head, oh God, have mercy on you. What a terrible way to think. But the reason they think of it, they look at their version of love as a limited pie. I cannot possibly love a stepchild as much as I love my own, because that'll take love for my own child. Because to them, love is a limited thing, which is absurd. You have the ability to love anybody and everybody. That's why Jesus encouraged us to love everybody. Why? It's an unlimited pie. It's the biggest yo mama pie in the universe. There's no, you can love passionately, deeply, and intensely all kinds of people. And certainly it doesn't have to be, well, I'm just going to love my kid and not somebody else because then my kid will be, uh, lose out. It's absurd. Now I get it. We all have limited amounts of time, you know, but in terms of love, oh my gosh, you should love everybody. Don't think in terms of that. Again, I just think it's sad. When you start to understand that God is your source, man, one of the first signs of that for people is they become more generous. You'll find offerings do not frighten you. <laughs> when the pastor's thinking, there's no fright, there's no fear. I'm going to look at what I can do and I'm going to give according to my ability, the Bible says, or this idea of percentage of giving. Uh, it's easy to do because I don't live in fear. God is my continual source. This is not the last that I will have, you know, like the, uh, the widow in, uh, was that Elijah or Elisha? I can't remember which one of these guys. Uh, one was Elijah, Elijah and followed up by Elisha. They were both incredible prophets. Anyway, this one, one of them comes to this woman uh, who is a widow and he asked her for something to eat. Hey lady, make me a sandwich, you know, whatever. And uh, she says, well, I can't because uh, this horrible uh, famine has come and I got just enough oil and so I'm, I'm going to make one last piece of bread and then my son and I are going to die. And the prophet said to her, uh, you know, that if she will be generous, God would bless her. And, and amazingly, she said, okay. So she makes him a sandwich. <laughs> ham sandwich? Whatever. No, they're Jewish. Couldn't be a ham sandwich. <laughs> Can they eat tuna? I don't know. Whatever. whatever. Lamb. A lamb sandwich. Uh, and uh, uses this oil, cooks it out for himself. And the Bible says throughout that entire the years of that famine, the oil never ran out. It never ran out. So even if you are looking at a really limited amount of oil, uh, God has a way of stretching what you have. Because why? The Lord is my shepherd. And if you're the kind of person that it, you're, it's fearful, the idea of money and giving is fears you, and we just took this offer, and you didn't give jack snot, uh, you're in that category of people who are, oh, everything's, oh, what am I going to do? And, and you live in fear. My encouragement is not about giving. My encouragement is understand who God is in your life. When you start to understand the Lord is my source, and because he's my source, I shall not be in a situation where I don't have anymore. Then it's easier to be generous. You know, it's like if you had millions of dollars in your bank account, it's a lot easier to, <laughs> to write a check to the United Way <laughs> when you have millions. Although even then, I know people who are really filthy rich, they're tight as, as they can possibly be. So, and even in that wild, there's people who have a lot of it and they're still, ah! why? Because it's not about even what's in the bank. It's, they're just tight. Don't be tight. Be generous. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. So that's the number one thing I wanted to point out this morning. When you understand God is your source, it becomes easier to be generous. And then two, today's an easy sermon, just two major points. When you start to see God as your source, 
you are more likely to joyfully endure suffering, the Bible teaches, which we'll read in just a minute. Now, suffering in its worst incantation is usually through pain or loss, uh, and certainly God's grace to all those who are in physical pain or have great loss because of losing a loved one. Uh, but um, it's not just that category. For most of us, our version of suffering is being inconvenienced, <laughs> having someone irritate us, uh, feeling like you got ripped off or taken advantage of. And boy, if there's something people don't like, it's being taken advantage of. I can't believe that person. That guy sure changed me my change at the grocery store. Whatever it is, you know, you're talking to some, <laughs> I was going to say idiot, but I'll be nice. Talking to some person on the phone in some business. That's what drives me crazy. That's my, it's my cross to bear. Mindless human beings who do customer service, who can't think outside a box. Oh, drives me crazy, but I'm doing better. Thank you for your prayers. I'm less inclined to lose my mind in those situations today. So, mostly because I'm getting to the age where I realize nobody cares <laughs> what I think. It's rather, rather freeing, isn't it? <laughs> when you're younger, you're concerned. Everybody has to think the way I think. And then you hit an age where you realize nobody cares what you think. Who cares? And you start to relax. So, in my aged years here, <laughs> well, hopefully I got a lot more years to go. Uh, I'm not quite as frustrated. But still, nonetheless, we don't like to be ripped off. We don't like to suffer loss. We don't like to suffer loss. Loss drives us crazy. And boy, if there's anything that drives Americans crazy, it's being inconvenienced and suffering loss. A lot of people are struggling greatly uh, during this uh, quarantine situation that we've been going through. And there's a lot of people very ticked off. And I get it. Uh, I'm highly irritated myself. I don't know that I'm really angry, but it just irritates me. Uh, we're fine. The Lord is my shepherd. The church is doing great. What do I got to complain about, you know? Uh-oh. Uh I'm getting the sign. Am I okay? See, that's the only reason I have a wife. Just to fix the tie. Otherwise, I'm a mess. <laughs> Everything else is okay. No flies open. <laughs> now you're making me nervous. <laughs> what was I talking about? I don't even know what I was talking Oh, uh, we get irritated by this shutdown and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, listen, uh, even in this, we cannot be fearful, and we can handle this. We can. Uh, we can do almost anything for a matter of months. Uh, uh, I don't like the way it's been handled personally. I think, uh, you know, it's hard to imagine that a politician would get it wrong, but I'm just saying, you know, I think a lot of them have got this wrong. There's been some major uh, extremes, and as an American citizen, and it's my own personal opinion, if you don't like it, don't write me, write Becky and tell her how evil I am, because I'm not going to read it. I just don't care uh, about your political opinions or opposing opinions on these matters. But uh, I have my opinion, just like all of you have yours. Um, people say, well, you know, this, this is an emergency. This is an emergency. You know, be careful. I'm just saying, fellow citizens, be careful. Don't surrender your liberties freely because of an emergency. Well, this is an emergency. Listen to me. Read, go to, you know, when you're in school, you should have been paying attention. Look at your history. All authoritative regimes took over, the fascists, the communists, the social, all took over as a result of an emergency. It was either an economic emergency or, a, you know, a war emergency or, you know, whatever different types of emergencies that people have had. And this is when people take over and, you know, 
we look, it wasn't that long ago, the whole Nazi Germany situation. And we say, how did they take over? How did people just surrender all that? Because of the emergencies. He said, well, that would never happen here. Really? Look at what just happened. Because of a health emergency, people are locked in their homes all over the country. Now, I think it's good to be careful about those. And there's all kinds of smart things you can do. I'm not sure locking people in their homes uh, uh, was a smart thing to do. And it's an infringement upon people's liberties. I even get the church thing, to be honest with you. You know, because you're sitting close to people. I, I get that, you know. Uh, but there should be a version of that. I mean, if you can sit in Costco and be separated, why can't you sit in a church and be separated? Uh, but anyway, smarter people than me will fight these things out. I'm just saying, as fellow citizens, be careful. Don't be quick to surrender everything. Uh, all of a sudden, all our freedoms of uh, liberties, of gathering, of worship, all these things we fought for, our forefathers fought for, have all been suspended and disappeared over one emergency. Be careful. I get their emergencies, but the good news is this is all coming to an end quickly, although there are some who want to hang on to it for months. Even some have said years. These are authoritative type people. It's what we would call fascism. Uh, and God forbid that we sit quietly and endure those sorts of things. Having said that, I'm fine with where we're at. We're going to be good. All of us will be lifting soon. Thank God. But the good news is, even if it was flat out brown shirt Nazis running the country. As a Christian, we can still experience joy. See, that's not possible. Of course it is. People who were in, being persecuted by Nazis still were Christians who experienced great joy. There's great books and stories you can read of their lives and stuff. Even in the worst of circumstances, people who are in communist countries, even to this day in the Middle East, where you proclaim to be a Christian, they'll kill you. There's Christians there. And they're filled with joy, unspeakable, and full of glory. Hard life is hard. Absolutely it's hard. But how can they be happy? Because the Lord is their shepherd. He is the source. When you start to realize what the world does to me isn't all that important when you understand that God, I'm plugged into him, and he can make up the difference for anything lacking in my life. This is incredibly powerful, incredibly freeing. Let's read about it in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 23. When he was abused, talking about Jesus, he did not return abuse. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that free from sins, we might live for righteousness. By, the wounds, by his wounds, you have been healed. For you were going astray like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and guarding of your souls. Jesus suffered. He didn't threaten. I was telling Deanna the other day, I was reading this verse and I felt so guilty because when I suffer, all I want to do is threaten. <laughs> I said, oh Lord, forgive me. Help me not to be a threatening kind of person. There's no reason, reason to do that. And, and, and then you start to understand, how can I endure loss? How can I endure being ripped off? How can I be endure taking care of it? Because, taking advantage of it. Because the Lord is my shepherd. So I want to make this point to you. Don't let people take advantage of you because you are weak. Let people take advantage of you because you are safe. You say, well, it's the same thing. No, it's not. Well, they're both taking advantage. It's, it's true, but the reason behind it is totally different. Don't let people take advantage of you because you're weak. Let them take advantage of you because you're strong and you're safe. How can I do that? Because the Lord is my shepherd. Paul wrote about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 7. The Christians were going at each other's throat. Hard to imagine. 
Even Christians get this wrong sometimes. And they're taking each other to court and suing each other. And, and Paul says, in fact, to have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. He says, why are you doing this? Why not rather be wronged? What? You can't say that to an American. We should never be wrong. We should never let anybody infringe on us. Why not rather be defrauded? What? We should never be defrauded. Yeah, actually, let people take advantage of you, not because you're weak, but because you're safe. When you understand the Lord is my shepherd, someone can overcharge you. Someone can be unfair to you in business. Someone can do this, that, and the other. The government can come in and do stupid things like tell you your business is not essential, which by the way, the only non-essential businesses are the ones that go out of business because nobody wants them. <laughs> That's not essential. Everybody does stuff that is essential. That's why they even do it. That's why people give them money to do it. I think they should be able to stay open as long as they're being smart like everybody else, like Costco. Why does Costco get to live by different rules than the rest of the country? This is insane. Hard to understand politicians being stupid, but it happens on rare occasions. We will survive. It'll be fine. But what he says is, why not rather be wronged? What are you saying, Paul? What are you saying there, Peter, about don't strike back and, and, and threaten? Because we not only can we be more generous with what we have because God is our shepherd, we can even be taken advantage of because God is our shepherd. When we let people take advantage of it, it's not a matter of weakness. It's a matter of strength. It's because we feel safe. You say, well, Pastor, that's why I feel safe about being locked at home. Okay, fine, good. And actually, you should be. You know, that, all that was from a uh, libertarian point of view. <laughs> Our attitude still, no matter what happens to us, is we're going to be okay. Even if the worst happens, we're still going to be okay. Even if the entire economy collapses, which some are fearful that it will, I'm telling you, we're going to be okay. Why? Because the Lord is my shepherd. He doesn't look at the stock market and freak out. It's like God looks at the stock market and it's down. He goes, oh, myself, what are we going to do? No, even that doesn't freak him out. You say, well, there might be suffering that comes from his result. Yeah, I get it. We might all suffer. But even in suffering, we can do it. Why? Because the Lord is my source. He is my shield. He is my provider. He is my comforter. He is my shepherd. All right, so now we're going to wrap this up with our time of communion this morning. Um, Actually, uh, it's interesting. I pointed this out a few weeks ago. That almost all the post-resurrection appearances in the Bible involved food. Almost everywhere Jesus popped up, there was food. In fact, one time he pops up and he says, you got anything to eat? <laughs> Maybe that's why Christians are a little chunky. I have no idea. But anyway, there's something about food and we like as Christians to celebrate food, the idea of sharing and equality and all these things that we talked about this morning. So, Every Sunday we do this as do millions of Christians all over the world as we celebrate the Lord's table. This is where we turn our attention to the fact that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins. Uh, his blood was shed so we could have forgiveness of sins. His body was broken so we could be healed. And that's what we celebrate. Even during a midst of trial, even during a midst of trouble, even during a midst of being irritated by decisions by politicians that we may not all agree with. Even in that, there is still peace for those who understand that the Lord is my shepherd. Anyway, in his epistle to the Corinthians, the Apostle Paul wrote that whenever we take of the communion service, we should do it in a reflectful manner. He said, 
Uh, whoever eats and drinks of the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be answerable for the body and the blood of the Lord. So he says to examine yourselves and only then eat. With, because if you eat without discerning the body, you eat and drink judgment. Another translation says damnation unto yourself. If one does it wrong and gets judgment, one can only assume that doing it right brings a blessing. We want a blessing. But before we do this, let's do what Paul said. Let's examine ourselves. Where are you at this week? How have you done? Say, Pastor, everything you mentioned this week, I failed at. <laughs> I was angry. I was bitter. I was <laughs> fearful. I was, All right. Well, let's reset. Let's ask him for forgiveness before we partake of the bread and the wine. The good news is that there's always forgiveness and grace with him. Let's bow our heads and let's all pray together. Heavenly Father, before we partake of the bread and the cup this morning, in obedience to the scriptures, we pause now to examine ourselves. If we've sinned against you in thought, word, or deed, by what we've done, by what maybe we've left undone, if we've not loved you with our whole hearts as we should, if we've not loved our neighbors as ourselves, we ask you now, for the sake of your beloved son, Jesus, who gave himself as a sacrifice for our sins, have mercy on us and forgive us of all our sins. Strengthen us in all goodness and by the power of your Holy Spirit, keep us in eternal life, that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. And as we're in an attitude of prayer right now, again, we can't see you. There's people all over the world literally watching this right now. If you're the kind of person you've never truly surrendered your life to Jesus, you don't even, have never experienced what we've been talking about is about God being your source, that you are in fact filled with all kinds of fears and angers and bitternesses and because your world is so limited. And I'll, I'll concede, without God in your life, everybody's got a very limited world. And, and you're thinking, man, I, I would like to have that unlimited version of life. Why don't you ask Jesus into your heart right now? Just ask him. Say, Jesus, come into my heart. Forgive me of my sins. I want to connect in with this unlimited version of God. And if you'll pray that person, instead of from your heart, you can start your first walks of faith this morning.